And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Friends and welcome into Rates and Barrels right here on the Athletic. For only two dollars a month, you can be locked in with everything that the Athletic has. The draft guide, if you're set for your uh, drafts, maybe this weekend, this upcoming weekend, or the next. Whether you want to get all the incredible stuff that Eno's got, my dynasty ranks, and a gajillion things more, go to theathletic.com/slash/ratesandbarrels and get hooked up. Mr. Eno Saris is with me. I am Chris Welsh. Eno, what's up, my friend? Are we a little bit more rested in the bed that you didn't have to piecemeal a blanket? And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eggs? I'm freshly shaven. I slept in my own bed. Uh, things are better. Yes. Just wish it hadn't been the time change. The the youngest had a uh, heck of a time with it this morning, let's just say. He was, he was not having it. And yeah, by you know, it, I mean everything i have the the weird and you all are we're all going to be in the same space here uh come november be when time change is uh gone it'll be gone i don't know if everybody realizes that november will be the last time i believe time will change and then it will be stuck there but uh in arizona if everyone doesn't know it arizona does not uh acknowledge time change so we never change i've never changed my clock so i'm originally from california for 20 plus years i haven't done it and what we change time zones. So it's actually worse for me, you know, because like I have to make sure because everybody in the world in podcasting speaks on Eastern Standard Time. Luckily, you happen to be Pacific, so it helps me out. But like everybody speaks on Eastern times. So I have to be aware of my two or my three hours away from Eastern where you guys all change your clocks. It's Arizona and Hawaii that don't acknowledge time change. So it is a weird time and it kind of screws everybody up in different ways. You guys were leaders in this. I mean, you could call it that Arizona something. <laughs> There's something. They're leaders in uh, off-season baseball, in spring baseball. They are a mecca, as everybody. That's actually a big word I've been hearing out here uh, in Arizona right now. With you have lots of people that have been coming in for the WBC, uh, which has created huge, bigger crowds than ever. And everyone kind of talks, and they're just like, "This is a mecca." And you're coming off of Florida, which maybe they're not saying the exact same things, but. Um, especially with their hotel uh, accommodations. But, you know, there's a lot big more travel in Florida, Arizona. There's not. Uh, we're actually going to talk about one of those things here in a bit. We also are getting into prospects today, and we're going to be talking about 10 prospects that you need to know for redraft. But it's a little bit of a wrinkle because this isn't Jordan Walker. This isn't Corbin Carroll. These are guys that might not have 40-man rosters set. These are guys that don't have open positions they also happen to be guys that have not been sent down in the minor leagues. So what it does is it opens up this intriguing idea of can they mysteriously break camp or would they be early fab options that you guys want to take a look at in your league? So we're going to be breaking down those prospects. But, you know, talking about all the craziness here yesterday. I went over to the Rangers facility and you and I actually have hung out over at the Rangers. We, we watched a Royals game back in the day. I actually remember it very vividly. It was you, me, Chris Blessing, Eric Cross. We're standing there, Chris Clegg, and we're watching Frank Mazzucato, I think, or Ben Kaderna. 
pitch for the Royals and then standing Who was the behind one I liked? us. That was the power guy. There was Kaderna. the power guy. You love Ben Kaderna a lot. Yeah. Frank Mazzucato was the bigger name, but you were all about Ben Kaderna. And standing behind us, in that exact moment was Jack Leiter and Al Leiter. They were just talking baseball. Yeah, we're and they just speaking over our shoulder at that. Yeah, it's such a weird, that's one of those weird things you get, but that was like instructional, Paul. That same facility, I was there yesterday because Jacob deGrom threw his first live session versus batters. It was the double-A uh, Royals. God Can rest you imagine? I mean, Who's pitching today? Does, does deGrom have a brother? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't like Jacob, right? No. This is Josh DeGrom, like right? His cousin or something? Yeah. Well, on the field next to him, Nate Evaldi was throwing to the AAA guy. So that was a rough go for the Royals in general. But I'm not joking when I tell you, I was floored by the amount of people. And if people don't understand, backfields aren't like riddled with people. If you go to Camelback Ranch, there are usually two or 300 people there for the Dodgers, but that is this unique, its own little universe that exists, but there's never a lot of people. There, there are two or 300 people on the backfields for Dodgers. Two, oh, easy. It's, it's really? a mad. It is one. It is like avoiding. You want to know what the craziest thing is? That's wow. the only backfield that connects both teams. So you can like walk plenty of them share the same complex, but you have to like take your car and go around. That's the uh -huh. only one that you can literally walk grass to grass. When there's 300 people on the Dodgers, there's like nine people over at the White Sox or 15 people. It's such a weird uh, dynamic. There's Dodgers fans parking over in the White Sox side and walking over. <laughs> but there were two to 300 people there yesterday in the Rangers backfield where you and I were to watch. And they were all set to watch Jacob DeGrom throw. And it was, I mean, can you even imagine that space having 200, 250, 300 people, people live streaming, fans, all the bleachers were taken up, players, personnel, Chris Young, GM, Everyone's yelling. everybody was there. And uh, I and, have and like a lot of times it's, it's also just usually a quiet space. You, where, like, where if, you, if you were to pick up your phone, like, if you were to pick up your phone, you would be rude and talk because it's so quiet. You'd actually walk away. Like you'd have to walk away. Like people, Not when yesterday. they get phone calls, they walk away. No, Not yesterday. No, there was is, a guy working for a You've Rangers got some video here. And that was the thing. The first thing that hit me was like, you know, you hadn't told me yet how many people were there. And uh, we'll see this fun play here. And I was like, that's more than the Royals bench that's, that I'm hearing. You know? it, it is. And I'm going to pull this up. I'm going to pull this up here. Bench. There was like a Rangers blog that was up against the fence, like narrating as we went. It was a wild experience. <laughs> I happened to, though, and I feel bad because I'm six foot four. Happened to get right up into this corner and my perfect spot. And you anyone have a really behind good, me, really good angle on this. Yeah. And everybody else behind me had to deal with it. So um, <laughs> they just had to, you know, look over my shoulder, come around the side or something. So I, I got every single pitch that he threw. He was scheduled to throw 34 pitches, 35 pitches over two innings. He actually beat that over the two innings. And a lot of strikeouts, except let's take a look at the two things I've got for you here. And I'm curious at your take on it. First up was his big miscue. So I'm putting this up on the screen. If you guys watch us on the YouTube, there's a, a catching prospect named Omar Hernandez, who was actually a pretty, uh, I remember Eric Longenhagen talked about him like three or four years ago. He comes up to bat the first at bat, Jacob deGrom, um, I think in his third pitch gave up a fly ball. Just a fly ball. Everyone was like, "Oh my gosh!" He gave up contact. Everyone, was yeah, like, right. Okay. I would. That's what I was saying. I'd, I'd be celebrating a foul. <laughs> well, 
when he stops celebrating, Omar Hernandez will probably be telling his children about this. So this is the video. (laughs) So here's your first pitch of Jacob DeGrom. This ends up being like his fifth overall pitch. And you can see, boom, right there. It's on the corner. It's a little bit outside. And Jacob DeGrom gets fastball. I think that was a fastball on the outside. Uh And then right down the middle, here comes Jacob DeGrom. Omar Hernandez crushes this. And it hits the pole right there in center field, which way over the home run batter's eye. And as you can hear this, listen to that. Omar Hernandez hits an inside the park home run against Jacob DeGrom. And you can hear that. And there's no justice to what the people in the background too. There are 250 people cheering him on. This guy just crushed one on Jacob DeGrom, you know. Yeah, and he I mean he looks like he moves better than a regular catcher. He's a little bit a little bit more athletic. Um one thing that also in the video you can see DeGrom's watching it and he's got like his hands on his hips like, you know, like oh someone's going to catch this, right? Yep. And then when it hits the pole and bounces off, he like spits to the right or like curses maybe. Oh. Definitely like a like a like a probably an F bomb, I would guess. That and they couldn't read it, that they cover. couldn't read it. Yeah, yeah, and he comes and he runs the. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that was a really catchable ball. That was no, no. It was 100 not catchable. If you look, the batter's eyes probably uh, or like the the side fences are probably like uh, eight, nine feet. So this hit like about 16 feet. feet yeah, uh, but it hit the pole, and both outfielders had a bad read because they came in, and it allowed. Uh, I mean, he was uh, yeah. So regardless, yeah, I don't know if the f bomb was about the bounce or just about uh, giving that up. But he, <laughs> there's like a moment where he, he's definitely unhappy, and he's like, he's not not someone who's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. He's like, fuck, you know, he gets yeah. fired up. So he, yeah, he's not he gonna like to... move past it really quick. Then he runs the cover sure home, and what does he do afterwards? The what's that? What did he do afterwards? Oh, he just like he just kind of walked over. He just like he no. Someone... I mean the next three batters. Oh yeah, yeah. So so this is um, so <laughs> got angry after this. I'm gonna let you narrate these. He ends up striking out the side. Um, in I think the the next inning they actually gave him an extra batter. If people are wondering, because he ended up striking out five in 24 pitches. He is <laughs> very effective. I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, in his effectiveness. And here they were woke the, th- the beast. Yeah, you woke up the beast here. And here were the three strikeout pitches. And I, like I said, I'll let you narrate this if you want. These are just the three straight strikeout pitches that we have here. And let me bring it back up on screen. And nope, let's see. Bup, bup, bup. There we go. And these are three three strikeouts Wait, this, here. Are you sure this is not him? Oh, nope, this is not the one. Hold on. Let this me... is him again, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a... We can watch the Inside the Park home run if we want mm-hmm. it again, but... Uh, okay, here we go. So this is the three pitches for strikeouts. And what do you think it's going to be? Yep. Slider. Outside. <laughs> and, he, and he has a sword. And what do you think it's going to be? Slider. <laughs> could it be a and fastball? What do you think it could be? What do you think it could be? I think that's a slider again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a slider. that's a slider on all three that he walks off. And uh, he actually was so efficient with it that uh, he went over into the bullpen after and threw like 11 more pitches because what they wanted him to do was 35 pitches and they wanted to make sure it was across two innings because they wanted him to sit down. And I guess Bruce Bochy had said this and then come back up. They wanted to see how he responded. 
And funny enough, when he came back up off into the second inning, that is where it was like, bam, bam, bam. He was lighting guys up. No one was making contact anymore. And he ends up not walking any. I think he threw 20 of 24 pitches for strikes in that uh, inning. I wonder, as well, I wonder so. if before that inside the park home run, he's like, I'm going to throw 80% today. Ooh. And then he turned it back up. That's a possibility. <laughs> it didn't. The very first pitch of the game was a strike, but it didn't look like it was a normal uh, DeGrom ish fastball. Yeah. Do you see any radar gun readings? I didn't, and they weren't sharing them too. And also, all behind you, <laughs> here's a sneaky thing about the backfields: when it's nice and quiet, I got my ear tuned to everything, listening to people. I couldn't hear nothing because of 250 plus people. Oh, so I was listening yeah. for the guys to start talking about velo uh, because I was right next to the uh, personnel, and they also had the pitch clock going and everything like that. So uh, Jacob Degrom. First live session was pretty good. Uh, any initial thoughts on seeing, uh, you know, I mean, we really, we, we kind of just saw sliders there, I suppose. And it was against double A guys. I, I'm thinking now, you know, Derek Cardi was saying that Jacob DeGrom should be the number one pitcher. And you know, I, get, I get it from projections and, you know, even my own projections. We've got him projected for a 174 ERA using Stuff Plus. And the next one up is like a 231 or something. Strider has like a 24, like, so that's such a big difference. I feel that, um, you know, if you got, I think if you got 160 innings, he'd easily be number one. And I think if you got 140, I think he'd be, you know, a close number one. Cause you have to think like Garrett Cole, I think looks really awesome this spring. And I just talked to him and, you know, the cutter is looking pretty good. And, you know, I think Cole could have a good season, but a good season for Cole might be a 3 1 ERA with like 200 innings. 210 innings you know so there's that bulk versus excellence like you're gonna take well, I mean, what would you rather have? would you rather have 101 150 for Degrom or 200 from garrett cole i mean that's why you have the auction calculator to do the math for you and you know, that's why you have these 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 setups to do all the math for you and a lot of them are saying Degrom is number one yeah, I mean, say, but your gut, like you, your gut, like when you hear that without even looking at the calculator like which one i, I just you? like the bulk because uh you know when he sits down, you're just you get hamstrung a little bit in terms of running a team. You're just like, what like what do I do? It's how bad of an injury is this? Do I drop him? You know, like that. Do I drop him and and how long am I gonna nurse? And then how like especially because I, I do a lot of NFBC and it's like you have seven bench spots. And just to have a guy on there. No IL. Yeah, no IL. So you're just like, ah, like, you know, there'll be so many weeks where you're like, I really need to, I need a closer, you know, I need to pick up. And there's this like closer that might be a closer that I should pick up to speculate. And because I don't have that extra space, I now have to drop like an actual hitter or a healthy starting pitcher because the Grom's sitting there. You know what I mean? Have so you come to terms I, with like, the I haven't, now? huh? Have you come to terms with like what you do with Degrom? Because I feel like we've talked about him a couple times, and it's like if he does this, this is great. But or like my latest rankings updates, where I was just like, I think I would take Strider over him because I feel like Strider is the same proposition, not that many innings, but really excellent stuff, but uh, less of a health risk. Over so uh, what percentage? And then Cole and Burns to me look like I think they could even put in like two seventies this year, you know, and with 200 innings what so. percentage would you put jacob Degrom meets the 150 innings pitched off of atc or the that map? too right like we're talking about oh if he makes 140 you know he's the best pitcher in baseball well, what's the percentage that he makes 140 i don't think yeah, it's, 
I mean, maybe 50, 50, 60, 40, you know, but I mean, these are, aren't these built to be the median projection? It's not the high and it's, it's usually a little bit more low. Isn't well, not the innings innings are, are total human guesses. Okay. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. total human guesses these are built off of atc and derek i think has said that before and almost everything is that there's a depth chart decision at some point okay that's yeah, why it, innings pitched and plate appearances are actually the biggest uh source of error from system to system and projection to projection and the easiest way for uh, a human being to um alter the numbers and get ahead of the ahead of his league even if you just if you really want to put in the work Project your own innings pitched and plate appearances for at least the high value weirdos that you're not sure of. Like, you know, the guys we're about to talk about today, for example, in projection systems, they're going to have very low plate appearance and IP numbers because right now on the depth charts, they are second or third options at best. We're talking about them because they are second and third options, right? That's why we're talking about them. They're right there. They're very close. They're second or third options. But in Albert Fangraphs, the second or third option gets 5 to 10% of the plate appearances. So you'll see projections for these guys that have 50 or 60 plate appearances. But we'll make the case for these guys. And uh, maybe you buy into one of these cases. If you do, change that number. Change that plate appearance number. Say, you know what? He's coming up here 300. You know what? He's coming up because there's a couple of different benchmarks, right? There's a couple of different moments. There's the like super two, you know, there's the like sixth year of team control. I think it's like, it's, I think it's like two or three weeks for sixth year of team control. Right. Yeah. So they, so they'll do that. There's a lot of guys that would go down and then come back up two weeks later. They're magically ready. Right. A lot of the names we might talk about might be. And then there's also the six weeks which I think keeps them out of the six or, or eight weeks. It keeps them out of super two. And this is the move. This is the one that moves. It's ba- I think it's based on rookies. What other people date. are doing. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. So th- this one is not a, a finite date, uh, which that one's harder to nail down, but I think that one's uh, like early June. Usually. Yeah. Like I think it's like May to June somewhere in there. So, like, yeah. yeah. End of May, beginning of June. That's where super two means um, when you go to arbitration, you're treated differently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, wow. well, no, the 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 we you have the extra year of control, and then the super two is you go to um, you go to arbitration. I believe earlier. I believe you start hitting arbitration dates. Oh, earlier. so then you have four years of arbitration and just two years of pre-arbitration. I believe that's I the believe. super two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. believe that's so that makes them more expensive quicker. So because then la- you're in your third year instead of being paid league minimum, which is like five fifty or maybe it's gone up to six or whatever. You, you you instead of being paid league minimum, you're in arbitration. So that year you're making one or two or three million. So and then that compounds because you're ahead of everybody. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. 
It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. And it used to be like the biggest deal. Like that was everything to every team. But with now the extra rules of baseball giving um, extra incentives. The incentive is if your guy wins the rookie of the year, you get an extra draft pick. Yeah, they, there was also talk that it was supposed valuable. to be three. It was supposed to be like the top three in rookie voting get some type of compensation being the winner is the first overall pick, but they tied it, or not the first overall pick, but a first round pick, but they tied it to arbitrary lists. So a, a player also has to be in the top 100 of, I think like Baseball America prospect and Pipeline. List, yeah. yeah, they have to be a top 100 prospect, which last year would have taken a guy like Matt Mervis out. And I think he'd be good now because lists have updated, but like there's actually a guy on this list. We're going to talk about that. Has just, a chance I think to... a little ugly, man. Oh, I think it's a gross thing that they're tying it to like these arbitrary. They, like they should got, have I no... think we got rid of the, you're not allowed to basically tie uh, uh, contract options to BWA stuff. Yeah. Well, and they're doing it here. They're doing a version of that here. There should be no, like you have to be a top 100 prospect because one of the guys on this list who could actually break camp that we're going to talk about, I think would not qualify for the extra pick compensation based on his potential rank on lists. I don't know if he would, that's like the really messy thing. That's what ended up happening with uh, Spencer Strider last year, Spencer Strider, had he won it, I, and I don't know if this was serviced by the way, had he won the rookie of the year award, it wouldn't have done anything for the Braves because I don't believe they would have acquired a first overall uh, first round pick if he had won the award. Michael Harris didn't break camp, so they also didn't win one. You know what I mean? Like he didn't he was awesome, but and he was inside the top 100 list, but he didn't break camp. Strider didn't get there either. So it, it's just a weird uh, dichotomy of all of it. Uh, last thing on the DeGrom thing before we talk about these prospects. What do you think the projected innings pitched are? Because it's fun that I went out and I got the video and people get to see it and everyone makes their snarky comments about like, oh, how many, you know, blah, 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 and he's going to get hurt. We, we all get that. Some people are going to look at the video and go, oh, man, he got through this. He was healthy. He was striking everybody out. He looks good. I'm happy. Let's take all the things aside. What do you think the projected should be if these projections are not giving you the lowest case scenario. Do you think it should be a hundred innings underground? That's how people should approach drafting him, regardless of Cardi's take that he should be a first round pick. Like what would you, what would be your personal approach? I think about 130, 135. I think, I think uh, whatever you think glass now can pitch. And what is glass now at now? Let me take a look. Because that has to, that has to Last now on the bat is at 115 and ATC is 108. So those have been adjusted. So I you mean, think it should be like there? right now, recency bias is like, well, DeGrom's healthy and, and 
and last night isn't. But like a week ago, was Degrom healthy? <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, kind of. Okay. Kind of. All right. So we'll go. We'll go one fifteen for Glass now, and one twenty five, one thirty for for Degrom. Makes him pretty good, but behind Spencer Strider, you said you you're affirmed that so. he's behind Spencer Strider. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Spencer Strider is more like one hundred sixty. Okay, well, there you go. Now now you guys know exactly what to do with Jacob DeGrom because I don't think people did, regardless of the video. You will probably see him in a game here soon. I wouldn't be shocked if he threw one more side session. And I must be wrong. I must be wrong about that. The thing that we tried to get rid of, um, tying contracts to Baseball Writers Association awards, because if that was true, why would the new CBA also have uh, a bonus for the player if they win a Cy Young or MVP or Rookie of the Year. That's baseball oh, yeah, itself tying money to awards that the writers are getting. Isn't it such a weird thing? Like having having compensation. I don't like that at any, all, dude. No. Like just a kid like a kid I'm covering, like wouldn't that mean that mm, it's like even if you try not to think about it, it's like a bias towards yeah, that kid I covered, man. He's really good really good and he's really nice and yeah, let's vote to give him a million dollars. Yeah, no, or against. Yeah, or against. I'm watching like, Survivor again. It's like <laughs> you may have the red rose. Yeah, exactly. you're right. <laughs> you will take your money. So it's a dirty, nasty thing. Um, like we were talking about, kind of a dirty, nasty thing has been the prospect side of breaking camps with teams, but the dynamic is just different. Um, I really would love to. I know I, I kind of like asked you about this a couple days ago, a couple episodes ago, I'd love to like talk to just a few uppers about like what has really actually changed in their approach to minor league development and bringing them up sooner. Like did the compensation, does a compensation really mean a whole bunch to a lot of teams? Um, do team friendly contracts, like what happened with Michael Harris and Corbin Carroll, are those things that are making teams more worthwhile of saying, screw it. I don't even care about getting an extra year of control. Cause we know we can lock these guys up because there's a standard. I'd love to know the real dynamic behind all of it, because at the end of the day, these names that we're going to talk about, they are all on our radar. They're all on our radar to get some work this year into different capacities, but we really just don't know hundred percent because not every team is as aggressive as the next in bringing up some of these prospects. Um, I mean, has there been, I, I know I can ask you this before, but has there been any type of thing that's ever popped up in you talking with organizations about the development of prospects and, you know, their willingness to bring them up more rather than not? Or is it just something that hasn't come up for you? I think one thing, there's a little bit of different uh, feelings sometimes between pitchers and hitters. And uh, I've talked to a farm director that said, you know, if my if my minor league pitcher has major league pitch grades, on his pitches. Like if our internal stuff plus basically says they've got major league pitches and they're ready to go. Why am I wasting bullets in the minor leagues? Like they should come up. That's like and, the Andrew painter thing. Yeah. And we haven't seen that sort of play out so much. Like the, the starters in particular are not super young, but it is, uh, I think uh, something that people talk about and are talking about right now. So that that could be changing as we talk about it. And then, then in terms of hitters, and and then the other thing I've talked about with teams and, and people is the uh, the aging curve sort of suggests that um, we're doing pretty well at putting players into the major leagues at the right time because uh, the most recent aging curves from Jeff Zimmerman show kind of like a 
uh, a plateau when they come in. Like there's not a lot of like getting into the big leagues and getting better in the big leagues. You know, it's more like you hit the big leagues near your peak as a group. I'm yes, there are people who get better. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying as a group, mostly you get into the big leagues and you're very, very good until, you know, 27. 28 and you start then it starts falling on the curve coming to come i mean down, 26 yeah. is the real i think is the peak but it's 26 or 27 anyway so if that's the case um it's it's a it's a little dance of like when do you think they're ready you know i also want to get the most out of their young years like those best years uh so the, the, the it's there's no exact science to it one other thing i've noticed um debut av- uh, minimum debut age and average debut age have not changed that much in the last like 10 years hmm. basically the minimum debut age in any given season is like 19 or 20 and the average debut age is 24 to 25 okay that sounds about right i mean that that meets the elite versus you know just the graduation of and then the- you always the average is always moved by few of those like 30 year olds that got their first chance you know the joy menaces like, of the world, of the world. yeah <laughs> yeah 100 those are the guys that do that uh well we got an interesting list here of 10 guys that you guys should pay attention to for redraft this year and they're gonna come in all different flavors and this first one up here number 10 if you will it's not an exact science but number 10 was actually one you know that you push back immediately on But again, this conversation is around the value of how much you get out of this player. Can they break camp? And this guy has been a huge, huge name and has had an incredible spring, but people just have not known what to do. This is a guy I have kind of stood with the whole time. He was out here in the AFL. He actually stunk in the AFL, but I noted to everybody, he hit the ball hard every time he was at bat. That was a crazy thing. Played poor defense. We're talking about Jason Dominguez, who took that AFL experience because he hit double A, went to the AFL. He's come into spring with 21 at bats, hit four homers. He has nine hits, eight runs, hitting 429 with a 1500 OPS. Jason Dominguez has taken all of that experience in the finishing school, which is AFL, brought it over to spring, and he's looking the part of a lot of the hype that has fallen him. And it has led to a lot of people saying, hey, listen, with some of the injuries going on, you know, Harrison Bader, should the Yankees consider having Jason Dominguez up? I think the biggest problem is his defense. Uh, He played poor, poor defense out here in the AFL, but the bat is live. Do you think, you know, that we are going to get Jason Dominguez this year? And what is it worthwhile in your NFBC mind of uh, investment when it comes around? Well, uh, you kind of uh, undercut. I was going to ask you about the defense because uh, I haven't laid as many eyes on his defensive abilities as you have. Stunk. It stunk in the AFL. Now, he got a lot of good grades on it um, in early years. And there might have been, you know, it's early morning. I think he day is sun. headed towards the corner. I mean, that's the sort of consensus. no chance he plays in center. I watched him drop three different times ball in just dead center. One was due to the sun. One was just a stupid poor one, and another one was just, you know, you should make that play. Uh, uh, really, really bad defensive plays. It, in I, my oh, mind, my, my argument was, was going to be that there's a real opportunity uh, in center right now, and uh, you know. I, I I would personally think that it'd be interesting to to take a shot on it, but uh, because there's not really anybody in the young group of Yankees that I want in center. I'm not a big Esteban Florial fan, and I don't think he's really taken this opportunity and run with it. 
And if you look at anybody else uh, with a CF next to their name in terms of who's getting the at-bats for the Yankees right now, uh, there's, uh, I guess, Aaron Hicks is maybe the option, although I'd also think that he's his days in center should be uh, behind him mostly. Um, and so there's just not anybody other than maybe running Judge out there for a little bit. But the, the interesting thing is if you do run Judge out there for a little bit, it does create a bit of an opening in the outfield. You could fill that just with Oswald Cabrera and just go Hicks, Judge, Cabrera, and Stanton at DH. That is an option for them. That still leaves an opportunity for a backup uh, outfielder, maybe because they need a backup center fielder, which still could be Hicks. Um, they could uh, – oh, was, that, was, it, was I putting – no, I was putting Judge in center. So well, that, that's actually the, the backup, chart. but that would be a really bad. I think that'd be a re- really bad um, sort of defensive, and also be putting a lot of pressure on Judge, who you want to keep healthy. And even if you do that, uh, where Hicks is the backup center field, you still have an opportunity for an outfielder to break camp. And I mean, yes, it could be Willie Calhoun, it could be Rafael Ortega, it could be Florial. Uh, Michael Hermosillo is in camp. So there is an opportunity there for somebody to take it. And the Yankees have not, they did give Peraza and Cabrera chances, but it was, it, they kind of backed into it, I thought. And they're not a team that necessarily rushes guys to the major leagues. And so I kind of doubt that Dominguez breaks camp with the team. I would give it a 5% shot. And there's another Yankee we're going to talk about, obviously. Um, if the Yankees were really invested in wanting to play this game where they could have a rookie of the year and they could acquire a first overall pick, Jason Dominguez would fit the qualifications if they let him break camp. But there's another guy that they can do that with right. as well that, that uh, you know, probably has as good or better of a shot. Uh, the depth chart, at least according to roster resource, does have judge in center. Left is Aaron Hicks and right is Oswald Cabrera, which really seems like it's a little bit vulnerable and Jason Dominguez would be the That's best saying. athletic. Like, what's the he would be the most athletic that? outfielder out there if they put him out. And his bat has been live. So, okay, let me ask you this then. He comes Maybe up, 10% chance. And this is why I put him at 10 on this list. And some could argue he doesn't even need to be on the list. There's actually a couple of players that uh, just miss this list that I think you could argue. It's just this. When you hit double A, you're on call. You know, yeah. you're, you're anything is possible once you've had, and especially with you add the AFL in. I mean, the AFL is you go to the AFL to attract trade interest, to add plate appearances, and to be ready to make the major leagues the next year. Let's say they send they send Jason Dominguez to Double A month, and he comes up to Triple A, and we are May fifteenth, and something happens, and they bring up Jason Dominguez. What? type of aggressiveness are you going to take and let's say he's at a, he's he's continuing on he's doing what he's been doing bad afl amazing spring he's having a really good year this would be one of the like you they talk about fabapalooza and nfpc where everyone's going crazy like this would be one of the biggest gets of the season okay so this would be like big fab power players. speed uh, and I'm assuming he doesn't uh, put up like a 30% strikeout rate. So I'm, I'm assuming sort of a 20 to 24% strikeout rate. If he does that again with power and speed, I'm all over him. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to be trout anymore. He's not going to be in center. Uh, he's, he's so big that I don't even know how long the stone bases will be around, but in his first year, 
you got a Zips projection here of a 211 batting average with 11 homers and 15 stolen bases. If he strikes out, you know, 23, 24% of the time, that's going to change his Zips projection pretty hardcore because it's, it's reaching back into his A and low A numbers where he struck out more. So if he continues to, to make a good contact, um, then I think that'll change the batting average. So you could, uh, you know, May 1st, June 1st, get somebody who's going to give you double-digit homers and strikeouts with a decent batting average. That's that's what everybody wants from a mid-season acquisition. Do I, am I sure that it's worth, you know, trying to nurse them on your bench like, a, like an injured pitcher or something? No, I'm not sure about that. If you were in a league that you, there's a, plenty of leagues out there, you can kind of like stash minor league guys that allow you for redraft for the year. Is this somebody that you would put a hard investment in and draft and not try to pick up? You would draft him if you could slot him in a minor league spot. See, in that sort of situation, I mean, he's in my top three. So that's, the, that's generally the prospects of the process we're talking today. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. That pushes. OK. That would probably lead to so, why you were saying like he needs to be. He would be high. Right. Yeah, I like him. Okay, uh, number nine on this list was actually someone that you had brought up a little while earlier in spring because he was leading in spring at bats. That has tapered a bit, but Mark Vientos with the New York Mets. There's actually two Mets on this list um, that we can go through, but we're going to get the other one here in just a tiny bit. Mark Vientos has got monster, monster power. So far this spring, he's hit 306, two homers, uh, nine RBI with 11 hits, and he does have 36 at-bats. That's how aggressive he was. He had a little bit of regular season time as well uh, last year, which kind of put him more on the radar. So this isn't like uh, this isn't like a like some of these others, not like Jason Dominguez, but he has a little bit more experience, but he has no locked roster position really because Brett Beatty is the guy that everybody's looking at. But Mark Vientos is one of those guys we're just waiting for opportunity. Unfortunately, Pete Alonso blocks him at first. I don't think they've got the DH spot set. And third base looks like it would be more of a Brett Beatty before. So many outfielders. They've got so many outfielders. And he struck out a lot in the minors and had a pretty high uh, whiff rate when his first opportunity in the majors uh, last year. And then also this season in spring training has struck out 14 times in 37 ABs. Uh, so I'm not that heavily in on Vientos. I don't see much opportunity this year, save an injury to basically Alonzo. Um, and, uh, I also think it'll come with a high strikeout rate and low batting average. But he's had a really good spring. He actually is second in all of, uh, baseball in spring training and at bats. Actually, number one is Michael Tolia with the Colorado Rockies. There's a G there, but it said Tolia. If people don't know, mm. he leads in, uh, in at bats with 38, but Vientos is still getting all those at bats. His power is going to be tantalizing. And that's the problem. It's going to be power versus strikeout rate. I'm not the biggest Mark Vientos guy. But he feels like a guy that might end up getting 350 to 400 bats this year in different spots, maybe based off of injuries or um, versatility throughout. Just I think there's a reason this team is giving him this many at bats. I think it just kind of screams at us. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Number eight is actually one of my favorites, and I'm very curious to get your take on him. Zach Veen with the Colorado Rockies. Zach Veen led the AFL in stolen bases out here in the Arizona Fall League. He is tied for the lead in spring training and stolen bases again. Night and day demeanor change on the backfields. Um, this is a guy that looks like he feels he is coming soon. He is presenting himself in a completely different way, makes great contact. I think there are real power concerns. BP session I watched, he was trying to pull like crazy and he just could not get the ball out of the field, uh, at, you know, out of the park, didn't hit a single home. And it's BP sessions and whatever. No, but, but I mean, usually the guys hit homers in the BP session. Yeah, there's this kid. It was like, I think Braxton Fulton, the catcher or something like that. And he, this guy was launching homers. It was crazy. And this guy's like a five foot 10, yeah. you know, 190 pound catcher Hitting tanks and Veen's not. I told him that I was like, that wasn't, I told him when he walked off, I'm like, that's not fair. Those tanks you were hitting. And he laughed where Veen couldn't hit a single one out, but he's really learned to hit across his body. Good pitch, pitch recognition. He's going to hit singles and doubles. He's got doubles power right now. Unfortunately, you want doubles power at lower levels that can develop into bigger power. And that hasn't happened, but he is going to steal like crazy and I'm curious about what you think about Veen because there was an article out not too long ago that had mentioned that the Rockies have already kind of told him that, you know, mid-year is their expectation, or they told the media that mid-year expectation for Zach Veen is on the table that they want to get work. And I think, especially in chasing stolen bases, he should be one of the most tantalizing prospects if he is called up. It just doesn't look like it's going to be a space where he's going to break camp, at least yet. Yeah, I'm not that big on him. If he was a center fielder and his strikeout rate was like five percentage points lower, I would be more excited about him because they have a bigger need in center than they do in the corners. But Veen has played exclusively in the corners in the minor leagues, and he's listed this spring as a corner outfielder. So unless he's playing center, uh, you know, he's going to have to wait for uh, uh, Messrs. Grichuk, Black Moon, and Bryant uh, to sort through themselves um, as, and, and not to mention even Nolan Jones and Michael Tolia uh, who can play some outfield as well. So he's in a bigger mix there. Uh, he has a 31% strikeout rate this spring. Um, and I don't believe in the power. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to be negative about 
people, but I'm not necessarily in on this type of player. If you got but 10 homers hard and so, so fun from a young guy, 10 homers, 30 stolen bases uh, with 85 runs, but really low RBI. I mean, what does that do from like a full season? From a full season, yeah, full season. I guess I would say his upside is to do what Jake McCarthy did last year. Okay, but his like I also think Jake McCarthy's going to regress. So agreed. So (laughs) like he could have a good season where it's a Jake McCarthy esque season, but I don't, I don't see him like I don't see him even becoming like a Cedric Mullins or something. You know, like I don't see him. Mullins doesn't strike out like that. No, he doesn't have the strikeout. I've always kind of assumed maybe like a Starling Marte, but also the strikeout rate is not there. Yeah. Veen strikeout. So I, I do. I'm, I'm hopeful that that is going to alter a little bit. He's hit 265 in spring. He does have one homer, um, nine hits, seven stolen bases, which is tied for there. And that's what I think makes the most interesting. Okay, so May 15th. Here's have- here's a here's a. I'm going to talk about the qualified major leaguers with the highest strikeout rates and the lowest ISOs. Okay. Trent Grisham, Jorge Mateo. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Josh Donson's on here, but that's not a good comp. Tommy Pham. Okay. I don't think he's a Tommy Pham type. He does I mean, He does walk a little bit, but he, he doesn't look like Tommy. Might have a personality like Tommy, but... <laughs> Maybe. Uh, that's it. Uh, Javier Baez, not really the same situation. So yeah. I think Grisham's an interesting comp, uh, like someone that could use, but Grisham's a center fielder. See, like those guys are center fielders. Mateo has been working in short. center. I, 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 I was going to pull this up here. It would have been beneficial if I had gotten it quickly. I wanted to see the game log because I feel like he has played some center while he was out here. Actually, MLB's page, I just want to point out, uh, MLB stat page does list him as a center fielder. But I just don't have it in front of me, the games that no, he's I'm, I'm looking at it. It's, it's okay. not, it's, it is annoying because what you have to do is do game logs, spring training on MLB.com, and then you actually have to press all the games. Because I've seen him work so, in center on March the March 13th, backfield. he was right field. Yeah, I see. I, I see it right here. Right field was on that day against the A's. But they should have his position listed for every game, I feel like. Yeah, which isn't great. So, um, um, so I, I don't know. He didn't play any center field in the minors last year. May 15th, um, Jason Dominguez, Zach Veen, and Mark Vientos are up. And you have 100. Dominguez! You know, well, I know that. But let's do fab percentages on what you would put. May 15th? I, I might go to like $150, $200 on Dominguez. Out of uh, out of thousands, so yeah. okay, so twenty percent on Dominguez, and let's say you really need uh, stolen bases. Veen still not an option. You need power and speed. I mean, people hurting. spent a, a fair amount of money on Bubba Thompson last year, so and they got what they wanted. So if you really need stolen bases, yeah, uh, Veen hasn't played center. I'm four games back. Yeah, I, uh, I yes, uh, we do all sorts of unspeakable things uh, to get stolen bases on our team. All right, let's talk about a little bit more interesting. Let's talk this would, about a this would be one of the lesser unspeakable things. I think he's better, a better prospect than Bubba Thompson. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> there's a good one. That was Bubba, Bubba or him, who would you rather have? There we yeah. go, Zach Veen. I think Veen can be up by June 1st, and I'm hopeful that the strikeout rates do improve. That it definitely has been like that's, a work that's in the backfield. That's what I've watched. I think that yeah. changes that, that as much as the power changes everything. He can have like a 140 ISO if he has like a 16 to 18% strikeout rate. 
And like, then he's know, just a different kind of player. Then he's just like, you know, decent OBP puts the ball in play, you know, runs around. That's a different kind of player. But if he's like 31%, like he's a spring, that's, that's not, not no Colorado. Colorado also helps a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go to this next one. And, and I think we're changing tiers here. Number seven is a player you just spoke with Ricky Tiedemann, who I love. And there were fun little things about like, Hey, could he be the Andrew painter on break camp? Doesn't look like it's going to happen, but they do have the options. And Ricky Tiedemann really does look like a guy that is going to be able to at some point contribute with this team. What level will be a question? Will it be in May or June? And all of a sudden, you know, he's eligible for rookie of the year, or is it going to be later into July or August? And it's going to be a playoff run type of thing. So give me your thoughts on Ricky Tiedemann and the investment and what you talked with him about. The amount of uh, play that you say Kikuchi is getting right now for the Blue Jays suggests to me that Tiedemann is going down. Um, you've got you say Kikuchi leading the uh, the team in innings pitched. He has six walks and nine innings, and I don't think he's solved any of his command issues. So Kikuchi's not necessarily on my uh, sleeper list like he is for a lot of other people, but he's in. You know what I mean? So Tiedemann to me. Spark. Yeah, Tiedemann to me is the seventh pitcher on this list. The seventh pitcher on a list on a depth chart gets about 70 innings. This is also my number for Yuri Perez. 70 innings. Remember what Eduard Cabrera did last year? 70 innings. I think 70 innings in the major leagues is the number for Tiedemann. Um, And I think the key for him is... uh, Treading water, adding some innings, but not too many, you know, doing a long term sort of three and four inning starts uh, all through uh, April, even to, to kind of the, the extended build, because I think the key for me is holding velo. Um, I've got, you know, stuff numbers on him from the spring and they are, you know, through the roof uh, for all of his pitches. Um, you know, the uh, let me see here. I have. And then he's got a 138 stuff plus on the slider, uh, 136, 128 on the four seam, and a 90 on the changeup. But remember, changeups take longer, and this is not a large sample. So, you know, Tiedemann seems ready to go. And Dustin May, by the way, like Dustin May had like two wild stuff pitches, and that feels very May ish. Uh, can I ask you something? You said 70 on Yuri Perez. I didn't put Yuri Perez on this list because I just don't assume where I think there is potential spot for Tiedemann. I just don't see it with Yuri Perez, especially based off the current depth chart. They're pretty locked in. Like their their fifth pitcher, I think, is like uh, Rogers. And- right. So so the difference is they're both seventh pitchers, though. Yeah. Right? Or Edward Cabrera is the fifth. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're both seventh pitchers. And Braxton Garrett and Mitch White are actually pretty similar, I think. You know, okay, guys. Don't have the ceiling of these guys, right? But the the real difference, I I think the real difference is that in Toronto, there's like a pretty obvious spot for him, even if injury doesn't come. Agreed. You say Kikuchi spot. You know what I mean? Agreed. Where in Miami, there's a less obvious spot. I'm just saying, though, no matter what injuries come and no matter what seven starters put up around 70 innings. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, I see I'm going to put 70 innings on both, but I would put a little up arrow next to Tiedemann 
over those 70 innings because what if Kikuchi has six walks in his first nine innings in the major leagues this year? Do you think he'll have a zero ERA again? Yeah, no, exactly. And the team will probably be looking pretty quick to uh, move off of this. Um, and I love the Ricky Tiedemann one. Ricky Tiedemann, when he comes up, I don't know how aggressive are you with like minor league pitchers for Fab. Are you gonna are you gonna dump it? I don't usually, but in this case, I do have stuff numbers, and that's why I usually wait and see. But these stuff numbers for him in the spring have been through the roof. And also, uh, we talked about this a little bit. He has that really unique arm slot that everyone loves. He has that sort of three quarters with ride uh, situation, uh, you know. Uh, DeGrom-esque from the left side in terms of it's lower, but it still has good good ride. And he says, that's why I think Velo is everything, because he said it's it's firmer and has more ride when it when it's harder. Interesting. So, uh, and uh, he's a pop-up Velo guy. I mean, this is why he's arrived on all of our doorsteps, is that he's the one Blue Jays prospect that has managed to add Velo. Okay, uh, moving through the rest of this list here, number yeah, six, and then yeah, we, we spent a lot too of time. Much. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's good. But these are good guys. We'll have to burn a yeah. little bit on the top five. Number six, Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty, uh, Homer, two stolen bases. That's very interesting. A four twenty three batting average in spring. Like Vientos, he had a little cup of coffee. Uh, Brett Beatty put up crazy AFL numbers the previous year. It was just like. Hard hit velos of 110 left and right. I mean, this guy absolutely smacks balls. He's a max EV guy for sure. It's just being consistent and being given the playing time. Everyone said, let's watch where Eduardo Escobar plays. If he plays in the outfield or they move him around, maybe that would be something for Beatty. We just don't have any assurances right now. So your thoughts on Brett Beatty coming in for production this season, because he seems like the prime power hitting corner infield prospect if we can just get the playing time yeah i have him ahead of ventos i like him uh i've asked him about the ground ball rate this spring he has uh 2.5 ground outs to air outs uh that's similar actually to vientos and vientos still has power so it's not uh the end of the world but uh someone like pete alonzo has 0.8 ground outs to air outs so there is still some work to do for Beatty to unlock that power. He still has hit for too many ground balls. I specifically, that's what I was asking about. Too many ground balls? He said, I just hit the ball hard. So, um, you know, maybe it's not going to be a huge power thing. But people with his kind of profile often have good batting averages and good batting averages and balls in play. And so if you give him sort of a 330 BABIP and a 25% strikeout rate, you can still get a 250, 260 average with you know uh, 18 to 20 homers over a full season that's where he starts his career but you know at 23 years old you still have three four years of improving your ground ball rate even if you just do it by aging curves and you don't have a big step forward or you can have a big step forward like some people do and unlock the power either way really like that he does hit the ball hard uh, i like his approach generally and i do think he can uh maybe reduce those ground balls either over time slowly or make a big leap he hasn't done it yet, and I don't think he's going to break camp with the team. Well, let's do this. Let's compare him against number five on the list, who probably, if you would have done this in November, would have been number one, you know, and you talk to this player. Let's compare him against Matt Mervis, who Matt Mervis had an incredible season last year, a really good AFL. He has had a poor spring training and a poor offseason because the Cubs just kept bringing in first baseman, which I was pretty vocal about saying, hey, listen, yes, Matt Mervis can – break through this, but it really feels like the team is telling us something. They wanted leadership. They, there's something they don't trust about Matt Mervis right now. And they did that by signing like 
to you know Mancini and uh, Hosmer, and then also bringing in like an Edwin Rios. That has told me something. He proceeded to have a horrid spring, uh, 118 batting average, only had two hits. He's assured to go to AAA, but he is definitely one of the premium prospects when he's ready to come up. Everyone is going to jump and pick up on Fab. So any thoughts on Mervis and what you've talked about? And, you know, if you can stash, is this the type of guy you want to stash? Because he's close. Yeah, I do like the I do like the stash. I like that he has five walks uh, this spring. That shows me, you know, we did I did talk to him in the AFL, and one of the things that he said was, um, and this will be another prospect just said, who said that? I was talking to Addison Barger, and uh, Barger and Mervis both agreed that like the umpiring uh, uh, improves as you go up in the major, uh, go up from the minor leagues, uh, through the minor leagues, and so. Mervis said something really funny. He said, uh, there's a couple of times where I've seen who the umpire is tonight and said, Oh, I got a swing. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Barger laughed about that when I told him that. And he said, yeah, you know, because Barger's, uh, walk rate has gone up and, um, and, and as he's gone up. And so I, I still like Mervis. Uh, I think he is going to have a good OBP. He does also have 2.5 ground outs to air outs, uh, this spring. And so there is, I guess, some question. He hasn't had a problem with ground balls in the past, but he, you know, there is, there has been question about his, about his power uh, generally. I, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I, I'm not, uh, I think this is just a, a you know, a, a stretch where he's probably seeing uh, better pitching than maybe at any other time in his life. Um, okay, so and we can, we, he can pull through this for you. I think so. It's an adjustment period. You know, whereas Beatty's uh, ground ball rate in the past has been rough, Mervis's hasn't been. So this is just him, you know, struggling to lift major league quality starting that he's seeing when he sees it, you know. Number four on this list is someone that, because we're now getting into the territory of where people are wanting to draft a lot of these players. Number four, South Freelick, who is with, I believe, uh, the Italy team. He hit 400 before he left for spring, four hits, a couple stolen bases. Uh, he's done very well uh, over on the Italy team. I think he had two hits just the other day. And South Relic is one of those guys where you look positionally, what can they do and can they get someone out there? Garrett Mitchell, I don't think has been assured anything, already got kind of banged up. And Freelick is a great contact hitter. He's got solid powers, really f- like sneaky five tools. Feels like a guy that could be like a 15-15 type of player, could hit at the top of a lineup. South Freelick is someone that's going to come up sooner rather than later. He moved three levels last year, ending in AAA and played 46 games at AAA. So it's not a it's not a if, it's a win. He comes up this year. It's assured to happen, and that's why he's high on this list, and he might even be a guy to try to stash. So are you stashing Freelick in drafts right now, or are you waiting for Fab? Well, the stolen bases are, are interesting. He did have uh, 24 across three levels last year and probably would steal bases at the major league level. I love uh, the low strikeout rate paired with good power. I've heard that his batted ball exit velos are not exciting, um, but he does have the profile. You know, we've talked about this a lot with like Estoria Ruiz, maybe the number one guy on this podcast. We should change the name to Estoria Ruiz podcast. <laughs> um and i and i apologize for that historian barrels the historian barrels the problem with his profile is that i think he's going to strike out 21 to 23 24 percent of the time you know freely could strike out as low as 10 percent of the time in the major leagues i mean that's that's where he's had been headed in terms of contact and that just means a lot more opportunities to to get on base and start stealing and 
I kind of like Garrett Mitchell, though. I'm not stashing Sal Freelich, and because of that lack of batted ball exit velo, I think it does limit his ceiling a little bit. So if Freelich was up right now, who would you rather have, Garrett Mitchell or Freelich? Uh, Mitchell. Okay, so I'd rather have I Freelich. So. I, I think Freelich's just a better, more consistent here. The one thing Garrett Mitchell's done I always hated was Just Garrett Mitchell. The ball and hundred and hit a ball 110 last year. Well, he always hit across his body and he was like a big ground ball at all times type of hitter. Wasn't getting the ball up in the air enough. That's and that true. does, that does seem like that has changed a bit in his profile, which will change Garrett Mitchell's fantasy potential. Um, I'm just not sure it's going to consistently oh. happen where Freelick is not that. It's just the let's hard hit numbers see, are not as sexy. Let's see where Mitchell is in terms of ground out air outs because we have a little bit of information there. Garrett Mitchell, 1.3 ground outs air outs. And that is much better than 2.5 and you know more in line with where he was ground out air out wise in the major leagues last year. And that would be a huge oh. change to him. Okay. So you yeah, know. because he was doing 57 and 60% ground ball rates. You're right. That is uh, pretty rough. So yeah, you're hoping it, that Beatty kind of makes that same jump that Mitchell did. So, uh, yeah. but Beatty's a little bit better of a player overall. Than, and Beatty's than hard hitter. hit numbers. It seemed like they, they're going to do better for him than like where Garrett Mitchell's going to be consistently. I'm so. stashing so far. I'm stashing Mervis, Tiedemann and Dominguez. Okay, so we've got the three left here. We've talked about this guy, though. Any last thoughts? I'd love to get number three is Brandon Fott. It's probably one of the number one most asked questions I get just because I'm a Diamondbacks fan. Will he break the rotation? I actually think it's possible. It's not guaranteed. Likely, Tori Lovello will just go with Ryan Nelson. He's a guy. He did it before. They don't have to make major moves. They can see Fott a little bit more in... Um, Jameson's below has been good. I, I know I've been banging the, the the drum for Ryan Nelson, and Ryan Nelson hasn't been great, and his velo hasn't been great. Jameson's velo has been good. Neither one of them has had good results uh, this spring, um, and Jameson's had more innings. So uh, I will reluctantly admit that maybe Jameson has a step on uh, Ryan Nelson right now, uh, but also just the fact that there are two of them there uh, makes me think that Fod doesn't break camp. And you're right. The only thing I push back on is because of the lack of success and fought has been really good that I think it opens the opportunity for the team if they want to do this. Um, mm. I think fought at this point with lists will get him locked into their extra pick thing, but they already got Corbin Carroll, so it's just two of them. But like, because both have not been great, I think it gives the extra opportunity, regardless of the point, when Brandon Fott is ready, the innings are there. He can eat up innings all season long. It's going to be sooner rather than later. It's going to be by May 1st, I believe. Brandon Fott will be up at some point by May 1st. So what is the aggressiveness on stashing? I mean, you don't think he's going to break camp. Are you willing to stash Brandon Fott? Um, yeah, I guess I am uh, because Nelson has not been performing. Uh, I think Jameson is uh, just profiles better for the pen long term. Um, and, uh, you've also got Davies and Bumgarner as, uh, guys who might be near the ends of their careers. Yes. Yes, definitely. I didn't want to be end. rude, but no. <laughs> you know, yes. Yes, so, yes. uh, you know, with that, with those, it's like, you know, I, I, what's, how much time does Bumgarner have left on his contract? I think two more years. Two more years. I mean, it's more likely that he's uh, just going to stick around and be the bulk veteran guy. But Davies is on a one-year contract. And if he comes in and uh, has a 5-7 ERA 
like he did in 2021, I don't think he makes it to 148 innings like he did in 2021. I think two so, bad starts, they could move on. They could move on from Kyle Davies early and they could go to a Brandon Fott or a Dre Jamison or whoever. And maybe doesn't win like, you know, maybe put Davies in the pen and see if he can get, you know, sit over 90. I mean, he, yeah. he does have a, a good changeup. Uh, he's my, one of my favorites. One of the only starting pitchers I really like to um, covet uh, for redraft as his team. And number two might be the most fun. He's been one of my biggest risers recently. Uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand. I was about to say Edwin. If anyone was looking at me, I was just about to go Edwin. Christian Encarnacion Strand with the uh, Reds, who was traded from the Twins. He uh, four homers in spring. He's been putting up big, hard hit numbers. I saw watched him hit a triple live, and he was playing first base and. I said a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago that I really think with how the Reds, this was a little specific thing that jumped out in the game. I watched, they ran their starters out. It was like Will Myers, Jonathan India and strand was in there playing first. And then they had the reserve team, Ellie, Noel V um, Austin Hendrick. They had all the big prospects and, and strand wasn't a part of that strand was in the starting mm-hmm. lineup. And there's this presumption. Oh, Will Myers can play first. The team didn't do that. The team put Will Myers in right field and Strand played at first. And I was like, man, maybe they're really considering having him break camp with this team because he's had a phenomenal spring. And you might agree with me on here. So number two, Christian Encarnacion Strand, what do you think? You know, I think he might be someone you draft at the end of your drafts right now. Yeah, uh, I love him as a uh, as a dart throw at the end of drafts because you also know pretty quickly uh, what they're what their plan is and um you know, in terms of uh, where they're playing, Myers DH'd in his last game. Um, you know, Strand is playing first, as you mentioned. I know Chad Dotson, who follows the Reds a lot, uh, was saying that he thinks that uh, Strand can break camp with the team. I think Steer uh, still matters. And, and you know, Encarnacion Strand came in for Steer in a game where Myers played right field and Votto actually played first. Uh, so... You know, those are the names that you're kind of trying to put on the chessboard. Does Votto come back in time to just be the first baseman, in which case Encarnacion Strand probably goes down because they want to see if Steer can hold down any position full time. But there's a chance that Encarnacion Strand still makes the big league team and Steer just floats around because Steer has played like every position ever. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's like I would say there's you know, four possible ways forward. Votto is not healthy. Encarnacion Strand makes the team. Votto is healthy. Encarnacion makes the, and Strand makes the team as a third baseman and Steer floats. Uh, Votto is healthy. Encarnacion Strand and Steer make the team and they both float. And then the fourth one is Strand goes down. So I would say, you know, maybe past 50% that he makes his team. I'd also throw out a fifth if he could DH. I mean, at this point on roster resource, they've got Votto as the DH, Steer as a third baseman, and they're giving Will Benson. And the what do you do with the game. guy with the bum labrum? You put him at DH. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. So I think there's a possibility. Yeah. So I think this is leading towards maybe more likely than not that he makes a team. What can he do? He makes a lot of contact. He's only stuck out twice this spring. Uh, you know, and if that, that was, that's the thing he's doing this spring. That was the one thing in his line where I was like, what's his strikeout rate going to be in the major leagues. If he's strikeout rates going to be 23% in the major leagues, then I think he's going to have a good batting average and he definitely has power. Uh, and, and the park is going to help him. Look at this zips projection, 255 with 27 homers and four stolen bases and 553 plate appearances. Like he could almost hit all those. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's excited. 
Well, but that, I mean, I get excited about that. I think. Yeah, right. Fun. Yeah, right. That's I get exciting. I get excited about that. Uh, all right. So let's let's tie in the last one here. And uh, hopefully prospect people are enjoying. We're going a little bit long here is Anthony Volpe. And Anthony Volpe really is floating out here with the potential. This team is still floating the idea that maybe he could break camp, maybe over Peraza, which doesn't seem likely. They could maybe move Glaber Torres off. There seems to be flexibility. And he's had a great spring that is leading a lot of people to wondering if he's going to break. So uh, between Volpe and Strand, where do you want to make your investment? I, I tied Volpe at number one, but do you agree with it? Uh, you know, say steals are in the past have been a more valued commodity, a more scarce commodity, something that you need from young players. It's difficult to get from old players. I think Volpe will steal some bases. He stole 50 bases last year. So I, I, I can see why you might be more excited to have Volpe, a middle infielder who could steal a bunch of bases. His zips projection is also exciting. 234 batting average with 17 homers and 24 stolen bases. And that 234 is predicated upon the, we, the question is, we don't know how much power he has uh, in a power. And uh, the thing that I would just say is that the Yankees are the team of Derek Jeter. I don't think that, let's say Oswaldo Cabrera is a little bit better of a defender. He probably is. Um, Oswaldo Peraza is a better, sorry, yeah, wrong guy. Uh, Oswaldo, uh, Oswaldo Peraza is a better uh, defender. He, he probably is. That he can make the team, but I think if Anthony Volpe looks like a star and he looks like a star right now, I don't think this team will debate too long before they just install him as their shortstop. It seems like this is something that by May 1st, this is figured out in some capacity. Yeah. And they already had Oswald Cabrera type. This is my, this is just my opinion. They had an Oswald Cabrera type in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and they went searching for offense at the position. That's a really interesting take. That's a really, really good take. And curious what you guys think. You guys can comment on uh, the tweets, the posts, whatever it is, on who you think the prospects are that you need to be paying attention to in redraft. These are not the big guys. These aren't the Jordan Walkers, the Corbin Carrolls, but these are players that could break camp or could come soon and are most likely the top prospects to come soon. Um, and there's plenty others. There's Ed Edward Julian we missed on this list. We kind of wanted to talk about who's been playing well with Team Canada. Uh, Heston Kerstad with the Orioles, who's playing some first base, starred 24 years old, hit AFL. That might be a guy the Orioles look at soon, and the Orioles in general have a bunch of guys. But you guys can drop and let us know who you think. You can find us on Twitter at Enosaris, at Is It The Welsh? That is me. And Eno will be back with Al Melchior a little bit later this week for some more fun stuff. Guys, I will talk to you next week. Eno, thank you so much as always. And thank you to everybody listening right here on Rates and Barrels. I will talk to you next time. And Eno will talk to you later in the week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.